The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Scorebox, and these are your headlines. U.S. non-farm payrolls come in better than expected in July, easing recession fears, but triggering a jump in Treasury yields as investors look towards more aggressive rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. Chinese exports jump 18% in July, growing faster than forecast. But imports disappoint amid weak demand as the government looks to shake off a COVID-induced slump. Moody's cuts Italy's outlook to negative, with the ratings agency citing the recent political volatility in Rome, while a centre-left alliance falls apart ahead of September's key general election. Berkshire Hathaway posts a $53 billion loss on its investments over the second quarter, with Warren Buffett's conglomerate taking a hit from recent market turbulence. So uh, welcome to the program this morning. We're going to kick off with a company that's been in the news uh, quite a lot recently and we'll, we'll explain what that's all about as we uh, talk to uh, management of the company. But Siemens Energy delivering uh, numbers this morning and the headline net loss 533 million euros as against 307 uh, million for the year early earlier period. And the headline here is Siemens Energy warning of a deeper net loss over its uh, Russian uh, restructuring or Russia-related restructuring. Third quarter orders up uh, 60% at 9.84 billion euro. So there is a pipeline here of new orders that is strong, but sales down 4.7% at 7.28 billion euros. Um, Let me find you one or two other lines. Um, The CEO, we expect new management of Siemens Gamesa to implement a rigorous turnaround plan. It's a business unit that we've talked about uh, for some months having some issues going forward. We expect 2022 sales at the low end of the forecast range of negative 2% to positive 3%, but excluding Russia-related effects and a line on Russia restructuring of business activities in Russia caused a 0.2 billion euro hit in the third quarter no further significant uh, financial impact expected though on an ongoing basis um, let's catch up with Christian Brook then Christian is the CEO of Siemens Energy and better than me quoting him from the wires copy we should get to him directly. Christian, good morning to you and thank you for joining us. Obviously, there are a few interesting lines in here that we just need to unpack. You've talked about the hit from the Russian activities, but obviously um, from the earnings report here, it seems that that will be a quarter effect only and you're not expecting any further issues. Yeah, very good morning and thanks for having me. No, that's absolutely the case, but we are trying in the case of Russia, is within this fiscal year really to conclude the activities. Obviously, it takes some time because also the legal framework in Russia is not entirely clear always, but we do not expect any impact uh, in 2023. 
Um, so we're really trying to clean the house in 2022, and that is absolutely the case. We're on the subject of Russia. We are going to get on to the rest of the earnings, but can you just clear this up for us? Um, where do you stand currently on the delivery of this turbine with uh, uh, Gazprom insisting that they are ready to take delivery and you're not delivering it and you insisting that you are ready to deliver and they're not ready to take delivery? Who's playing games here? No, um, maybe let me uh, give you a comment in general about the turbine. It's, it's probably one of the most world-famous turbines, um, why it is needed. I mean, it's a normal course of maintenance, what we're doing here. So you have six units installed in Russia, five are normally operating, and then you have a spare unit which rotates around the globe between the maintenance hub and the operations. And that is the one unit which is Gazprom waiting for. It still sits in Germany and we have prepared all import paper to Russia, but we obviously do need certain import information from the Russian client, which has not taken place yet. We're still in daily discussions with them. It has not been cleared yet. Until then, obviously, there are other units to be operated. However, as we always have said, and I can only underline it, we can not reconcile the direct consequences between this one spare turbine and the cut in gas supply. But that is really something up to, to Gazprom as a customer. But so far, we are not yet have a clear timing when the turbine can be shipped to Russia. So, Christian, pulling this all together, and we consider the fact that there are what, three other turbines that the Russians say also need major overhauls, how pessimistic should we about, be about supply coming through Nord Stream 1? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, um, I, I cannot see necessarily that this is technical reasons. This overhaul is a scheduled overhaul, although this turbine, which uh, is currently in the discussion, was supposed to be exchanged this September. Uh, so there is nothing in terms of delay yet, um, and there is obviously other turbines also expected to be overhauled, but we still have no major announcement of any breakdown or so from the operations, and this is why I cannot reconcile a technical reason to the supply of gas. So there might be other reasons, and this is where I cannot really comment on. So, Christian, being at the forefront of this and knowing the ins and outs of what's transpiring with the turbine, are you saying that the Russians are using maintenance and sanctions as an excuse to try and hamper supply to Europe? I cannot judge on it because we are obviously, these are uh, turbines which are more than 10 years old. We get called when maintenance is wanted. Um, and this is how the process works. All the operations, all the day-to-day -day action is fully under the control of the Russian customer. I simply cannot judge on it. I can only judge on what I get every day. And in this regard, we're trying our utmost. And obviously, the rest is really up to the, to the Russian customer uh, on decide what is possible or not possible. Let me switch focus for a moment here. Obviously, uh, we've talked over months recently about the challenges at the Gamesa business unit. There's a line in your earnings this morning just talking about how you intend to focus laser-like on the turnaround process. What needs to be done, in your opinion, and how long is it going to take to get that business operating to the standard you expect and need? Yeah, I, I would uh, focus it on three elements which need to happen in principle. 
The first thing is Siemens Gamesa needs to fix their own problems in terms of quality cost, in terms of launching products. And this is why uh, Jochen Eichel, the CEO of Siemens Gamesa, has started what he calls the Mistral program, which is a, turn a turnaround program. The second point is there need to happen certain things in the industry itself amongst all suppliers. We need to discuss as an industry on really how can we better bring down cost overarchingly? How do we standardize certain products? How do we standardize processes to get the cost down? And the third element is also there need to be happening something in the market itself. The pricing need to reflect the inflation environment, also obviously in projects which are very long-term running for years, for five to six years normally. And the inflation factors need to be reflected somehow in the commercial scheme. These three elements will all be important uh, to turn around the business, not only ours, but the wind business in general. So we're talking about several really years until we get to the level what we all expect in terms of profitability. Christian, can I ask you more about the macro factors at this stage? Because we've got an ECB that's now moving off the sidelines. We've got very strong increases globally when we take a look at central banks trying to tackle inflation. How would you describe the inflation challenge, though, from here? Is there any sign it's getting better? That's a, probably the one million dollar question. I mean, what first of all, I do see we across the different businesses uh, able really to uh, get price increases also from our customers to reflect somewhat the inflation. We all now have to see how long this inflation level, what we're currently seeing, uh, will be uh, holding on. Um, we do not yet really see massive changes in the inflation environment, even so certain raw material prices um, are stabilizing or slightly coming down. Uh, and that is something which is obviously a good sign, but I would not yet say there's any relief we still uh, really stay on our toes and expect also for 2023 quite a substantial inflation headwind in, in our markets. And Christian, just one quick one, uh, given the developments in the United States over the past uh, day or two, where we've seen this huge bill, $430 billion bill to fight climate change, a huge significant move by the Americans here, it would seem. What's your interpretation as you also look at the, the clean energy uh, push stateside? First of all, I think it's a good sign that there is a first step. And obviously, as you know, our portfolio cuts across all different type of energy supplies, and we obviously intend to benefit also from that. Um, but uh, allow me two comments. The first comment is really, um, we always have to be aware we will need all type of different energy technologies, conventional renewables, and we will need a lot of transmission infrastructure. That's the one thing. Um, and the other thing, what we always have to be aware of, with all these fantastic state programs in place, at the end it's private capital which will finance the energy transition. So we always have to be aware that is one step, the other part is really private investment coming into the sector um, and really push forward the energy transition. Both is needed, so in this regard it's a first step and it's a good step. Christian, thanks so much for taking the questions this morning. Great to catch up with you. Christian Brook with us, the CEO of Siemens Energy. On a different note, hiring in July came in far stronger than expected in the U.S., with non-farm payrolls rising by 528,000 for the month. That was more than double the analyst estimates. So a fairly huge blowout number that we saw crossing the tape as the unemployment rate also fell to 3.5 percent. 
topping estimates. Now, the wage growth numbers, they ran higher than average hourly earnings, jumping half a percent. So hotter than expected jobs numbers, defying fears of a looming recession, but will likely force the Federal Reserve to continue hiking aggressively to cool the economy and bring down inflation. Goldman Sachs's chief economist, Jan Hatzi, has told CNBC the July payrolls numbers could force the Fed to act, but that other upcoming data releases, such as Wednesday's U.S. inflation figures, will also determine how aggressive it will be come September. This was a you know, hawkish report as far as monetary policy is concerned, so it's not surprising that the bond market's selling off on this new information. And I think it does increase the possibility that the Fed is going to have to do more. Our expectation is a 50 basis point move at the next meeting, but I think this increases the risk of 75. The market moved in the direction of 75, but you know there are still a number of reports, another payroll report, two CPIs before the September FOMC meeting, so we're going to see what uh, ultimately happens. Uh, Jan Hatzius from Goldman Sachs there. Well, Fed Governor Michelle Bowman says she supports the Fed's back-to-back 75 basis point hikes. In remarks made over the weekend before the Kansas Bankers Association, uh, she said similar sized moves could be on the table at the Fed's upcoming meetings until inflation falls from its four-decade high of 9.1%. It's the market pricing now that a lot of investors looking at 70% chance that uh, the Federal Reserve will lift interest rates by 75 basis points again in September. That's where the markets are repricing. And you can see in the face of that, uh, still a challenge for those big tech names. We have moved off the sidelines uh, for a lot of these tech trades in recent weeks. The third weekly push higher is what we've seen on the NASDAQ despite a drop in session Friday. So the gains over the course of the trading week, uh, fairly decent, 2.1% in contrast to this negative day that played out. Investors again are concerned that we've now moved higher, but uh, we're still seeing reduced estimates on the earnings, which now begs the question about valuation still. Are we challenged even at this point on markets after a slight recovery that's taken place in recent weeks? You'll notice the Dow still out in front and energy a big component for the trading session in the Friday session. Let's take a look at Treasuries and the spread widening between the two and the tens. That's been the notable factor. The 40-odd basis points we've seen between the two and the 10-year yield, two 2.82 where we approached on the long end, 3.22 as the market regroups around those expectations for another jumbo-sized increase in rates in September. And with the backdrop of higher yields and uh, the uh, story we're seeing around monetary policy, dollar is still king. Let's take a look at uh, how we are trading morning session after that big leap. Uh, sterling euro trying to claw back a little bit of territory at this stage. Dollar supported versus the Japanese currency, the safe haven yen. And you can see across on the dollar yuan, we're seeing some dollar strength as well but uh, the 120.74 level on sterling interesting to note 101 on 83 rather on euro dollar let's take a look at the asian markets this is how they are trading on that morning session you can see japanese stocks a third of a percent higher on the back of that Hong Kong stocks falling three quarters, 1%. Shanghai Composite is modestly firmer. We've got uh, some more data out of China today as well. Uh, this uh, around the export side, import side, and the Australian market only modestly in the green at this point. But uh, the non-farm payrolls number, certainly huge act for markets at this stage. And it sets the scene. We were just talking about this from the Goldman's perspective about what we've got CPI coming up on Wednesday, yeah. whether the market is going to be incredibly nervous about that figure. I think we'd hope we'd gone peak inflation. We're now starting to turn around but the number was so strong in the jobs report i think the market now thinks that there's plenty of room for the fed to act do you know who lawrence peter 
is probably not right because no. he was a 60s educator in Canada mm -hmm. who came up with a Peter principle and the Peter principle basically says that within any hierarchy and that's most businesses let's face it most people get promoted to their level of incompetence and um, obviously he was having a good dig at the fact that generally within large organizations those who are incompetent at doing their job don't get fired mm -hmm. they get a promotion and they continue to rise well the reason i bring him up is he had a terrific line about economists and let me just read the line because i think for a lot of people who are watching this morning they'll probably feel the same about this an economist is an expert who will know tomorrow why things he predicted yesterday didn't happen today and that kind of sums it up for me because i think we've we've basically seen the dismal art of economics shown in its most bleak state the nearest call on this non-farm payrolls number I think I saw on the range was still 200,000 away from what we actually saw. In this age of the jet plane, digitization, 5G, holograms, etc., why is it impossible for the economics profession not to be able to forecast more accurately this job's information? It shouldn't be beyond the wit of human intelligence to get closer than 200,000 difference, which says to me that for our retail amateur investing audience at home, all the professionals mm -hmm. who are watching this morning, you basically now need to rethink every forecast you see because clearly the professionals are struggling when it comes to figuring out what a, an economic rebound looks like post two years of pandemic. I know the models are not great on this and there aren't that many textbooks that tell you what will happen here, but with inflation now in the mix and inflation being that X factor that we haven't had to think about since the 1970s, it seems that the professional uh, eco economist community just don't have a scooby-doo right. as to what's really going on in the US economy at this stage. Which leaves us turning back to, to the anecdotal evidence. I mean, when we all see it when we're out and about in our own individual economies. It's happens, I just come, came back from Europe. There is a lot of uh, heat in some of these economies. You go out to try and dine these days and restaurants are full. And if you look at the, the numbers that we just saw, hiring was strongest in services. Uh, you saw it across the board. Uh, healthcare was one of the issues. I mean, we see it every time there's a spike in COVID. The healthcare system struggles to cope. There's a lot of catch-up still when it comes to trying to um, fix the previous or underlying illnesses. You've got it across other parts. Social assistance. We know these areas of the economy that have been hard hit during the pandemic as well. And then you go to leisure and hospitality. Another big build in, in the hiring. That's the strong part of the economy. We can see it firsthand. I mean, the service is incredibly bad, I think, when you go out to a lot of restaurants, bars and cafes these days because a lot of companies, a lot of businesses are just stretched. So I think the anecdotal evidence is there and do we, any of us think this is cooling off anytime soon? Well, switch across to the demand side because that is the forward indicator, isn't it? Yeah. What are our own actions? Are any of us going to stop some of the activities soon? And I was just saying to you off camera, I think that you've still got a very mm. uh, core segment of the market that is willing to keep on spending. We just had a terrific report cut out of some of the uh, big uh, retailers stateside where you were seeing split in earnings. Mm. Those who have 
significant amounts of cash are spending it and they are spending it at pace. I've just seen it in Europe. I mean, the opposite end, I think you are seeing some rationalization. But the question is whether that rationalization, one end of the market, is going to be enough to tackle the inflation we are seeing across the board. And I dare say it won't be. And that's the problem, that the anecdotal information that you're giving us, absolutely true, but it's just confusing investors even more because I think everywhere you look for every positive indicator that there is still a willingness to go out and spend, and, and quite frankly, we've had a whole slew of interest rate rises, and as you look at the United States, there's been no serious credit issue. We haven't seen a, a massive drop-off in intentions to spend, apparently, when you look at the credit card data, which doesn't jibe with the consumer confidence data. So apparently, when people get phoned up and they're talking to the surveyor uh, and they're asked questions about their confidence, they're saying, no, things look really bleak, I'm not very happy. At the same time, they're going out and spending on credit cards and going to restaurants. We're getting data that continues to suggest there is a big shoe to drop. The, the latest uh, Euro Area Bank Lending Survey from June showed that the, there is a considerable further tightening of credit standards for loans to companies in the second quarter of 2022. Mm. All of that suggests, as you read through this extensive survey of lending in the Eurozone, that there is a reckoning coming. And you can't help but feel there is a reckoning coming. But when you get a 500-plus non-farm payrolls number in the middle of the year, that's a big wake-up call, it seems to me. And I don't think any of us are brave enough to sit here and say, we're going to have a return of a bull market, or that the bear market is just going to get even worse. And that's the problem that there is so little visibility, it seems to me, through the data at the moment, that we've almost got to wait until the end of the third or into the fourth quarter to get some clarity as to just exactly what these interest rate hikes are going to do for for the global economy. I think a lot of bankers think it's pretty clear they've read these signs before, they've seen uh, the hallmarks to recession before. Perhaps we're just slowly driving off the cliff instead of accelerating towards it. What these bankers who have never lived through inflation of this nature before, these bankers who've never seen a uh, a financial collapse. I mean, now, you know, 2008 almost feels like it's ancient history Mm -hmm. to a lot of people who are in the financial markets at the moment. Well, those are the bankers I'm talking about who've seen it before. Uh, We've got to move on, but um, if you have any comments, uh, do get in touch through the usual methods. Um, We will take a quick break. Coming up, Chinese exports grow despite weaker global demand, but imports paint a different picture We'll have a dig into those numbers when we come back. And for more on Europe's energy supply issues with Siemens Energy CEO Christian Brook, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
As one set of Chinese military drills was set to wrap up, another kicked off. Beijing says it started live fire drills in the Yellow Sea between China and South Korea on Saturday, which will continue until the middle of August. Another month-long military operation kicked off in the Bohai Sea off China's east coast. The original drills were due to end Sunday, although neither Beijing nor Taipei has confirmed their conclusion. China announced the war games in the wake of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, where she reiterated the U.S.'s ironclad support of its democracy. Hong Kong authorities have shortened the mandatory hotel quarantine period for all arrivals from seven to three days. Visitors will then be able to go home but will need to continue to test and will be barred from certain venues and activities for another four days. China has locked down areas of the southern island province of Hainan and imposed mass COVID-19 testing. Local authorities imposed lockdowns on three cities, including Sanya, over the weekend, trapping tens of thousands of holidaymakers. Chinese exports continue to rise in July despite slowing global demand, uh, jumping 18% for its fastest monthly gain this year as Beijing struggles to recover from a COVID-induced slump. Imports, though, remain sluggish. The trade surplus coming in at a stronger-than-expected $100 billion plus. Let's get out to Sam for more on this story. And Sam, interesting, uh, obviously, that we've, we've got this situation of this significant imbalance. Sum up the story for us. Chinese exports surprising to the upside last month, unexpectedly growing at the fastest pace this year. It's an encouraging sign as Chinese manufacturing struggles to recover from the COVID impact. Data shows foreign trade container throughput, though, at the biggest Chinese ports rose in July. Economists say some of this may be thanks to pent-up demand here in Southeast Asia as factories increased production. Some European and American customers may also have front-loaded orders to get them in at a lower cost amid rising rates and inflation. Analysts are still expecting exports to cool off, though, amid worries about a slowdown in the global economy. Companies are also worried about rising US-China tensions. Another potential red flag for exports are imports, as a lot of those components which go into products are then re-exported. Goods coming into China were weaker than expected last month, suggesting domestic demand remains sluggish despite easing COVID concerns and the policymakers rolling out more stimulus to boost infrastructure spending. The latest PMI data out of China showed factory activity under pressure, which appeared to weigh on imports in volume terms, imported crude oil, coal and integrated circuits, which are all major Chinese imports, all fell. That all brought the trade surplus to a record $101.2 billion, well above market expectations. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.